Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Theater in College Hoops. I'm Subi. Alongside me is Taylor Dammel. We're brought to you by Dash Radio and the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device you use. I actually heard Abdul Gaddy, former guard from the University of Washington. I believe he's a Seattle prospect as well. He subscribes, so you should as well. Long list of Seattle prospects. He's probably the worst one, actually, in the midst of like Jamal Crawford and Alonzo Trier, and Kevin Porter, and Zach Levine. Yeah. Jason, Ter- Jason Terry, maybe the best one of the whole, or Brandon Roy, maybe the best yeah. two of the whole deal. So, yeah, I went with the worst slash most obscure in Abdul Gotti. But he subscribes, so you should as well. Check out the website at thebarnburner.com. That's the-barnburner.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feat is. And make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel. We're sponsored by Blue Note, artfully crafted small batch bourbon, distilled in Memphis and honoring the Memphis Blues. Be noteworthy, Memphis. Happy Thanksgiving, big guy. We're really out here, though. It's the it's the holidays. Thanksgiving. Then we got Christmas in a couple of weeks. This this time period in between Thanksgiving and the Christmas holidays is always so weird because, like, you go back to you have to go back to reality for a week and a half, two weeks after Thanksgiving, 
and you think to yourself, oh shit, then I'm, I'm, you know, then it's basically the new year, right? So I was looking at my schedule and I've been here in Arizona for three weeks. I go back to Chicago this upcoming Sunday. Then the following weekend is a full weekend in Chicago. I'll be there. Then the weekend after that, I'm going to be in Cincinnati for the Patriots Bengals game. And then after that, boy, it's like boy, the holidays. that's going to be a close one too. So I know. Yeah, I, I'm I'm really going to just drink with uh, my my future in laws. Well, actually, it hopefully, it's closer than the Packers Niners game I just went to this last Sunday. Can't be any worse than that was. So. At least you got field passes though. That's kind of cool. Yeah, that is. Shout out to friend of the program Carter Allen, friend of the program. Big yeah, salute you know, to Carter. I feel like I feel like the next three weeks. Because this is a really late Thanksgiving, I feel like twenty. What is it going to be when this comes out? The twenty eighth is Thanksgiving. Yeah, so I, I remember, you know, over the course of time, sometimes it's fallen on like twenty fourth, twenty third, twenty fifth. This is about as late as it possibly could be. So we really have a short amount of time between here and Christmas, and I feel like during the day you try and be productive, but you just end up drinking every night of the week because you have a holiday party or uh, a dinner or you realize you haven't caught up with some friends who are in town in a while or so on and so forth. And you just end up like, at least here in Scottsdale, you end up at coach house like 40 times in the next 20 days. Uh, Not that I'm complaining about any of that at all. I'm perfectly happy with that. It is nice too. Um, Obviously you and I can see each other, but the listeners cannot it's sweater weather out here in Arizona all of a sudden as well. Going to get some rain, going to get some clouds. I actually started a fire in my fireplace last night, getting real comfortable here in the Dale. Yeah, it's cozy season. It's it's definitely upon us, and I think we're gonna you're going to be able to enjoy that next three, three, four months or so. My biggest qu- question for myself is, can I reach out to my landlord and see if I can get some sort of prorated uh, rent on my apartment? Cause I've barely fucking been in there for November. I'm barely going to be in there for December. So that's going to be a, a bridge that I have to cross here relatively soon, but the holidays are indeed upon us. Happy Thanksgiving again to all of the theater goers. And uh, right now we're in the middle of feast week and it hasn't been a great Thanksgiving for some of the top teams. So a couple weeks ago, let's, let's just, Pedal. Let's take this back. So, because I feel like the Evansville over Kentucky win in Lexington kind of set the tone for what is probably going to be a wacky year. Now, thus far into the season, a lot of people have already said that there's no clear cut favorite. I saw a couple tweets looking at the North Carolina Alabama game from yesterday, and and North Carolina won, but they didn't necessarily look that great. And they're the number six team in the country. So a lot of people are just saying this year especially is such a crapshoot. So Kentucky loses as a number one seed, number one ranking, excuse me, at home in Rupp to Evansville, right? Now we have Michigan State. Let's start with them because obviously everyone else knows what we're about to get to. But we'll start with Michigan State losing to Virginia Tech, uh, an unranked Virginia Tech team while Michigan State was ranked at number three. And that was wrapping up actually last time we were recording, but Michigan state has looked a little shaky. And so before I go to you for your thoughts here, Taylor, Michigan state, uh, they, they just won their, their last game in the Maui invitational. I forget it's, it's escaping who they, 
who they just played U- UCLA. UCLA. Thank you. And UCLA actually was was certainly hanging around in the first half. Uh, and even in the second half, whenever Michigan State got it to 11 or maybe 13 points, UCLA was able to chip it back to maybe seven or eight. And the game was never really in danger for Michigan State, but UCLA is not good. Michigan State's supposed to be a juggernaut and a powerhouse. And to be perfectly frank, and I tweeted this, I'm very, very close. I haven't done it yet, but I'm very close to jumping off of that juggernaut label for Michigan State because everyone knows how much I love Izzo, how much I love this team going into the season, how much I said they are the consensus number one overall team, and they've kind of stunk. And if it wasn't for Cassius Winston's steady performances, and they still have two losses on the year, I don't know. Just the eye test for me right now, Michigan State's not passing it, and it's a little concerning. Yeah, you know, even – and obviously, like, we go back a couple of weeks to Seton Hall. They're a really good team, obviously, but they're they're one shot away from losing that game as well. And I, and and I get that that's kind of not a good argument to say like, oh, shoulda, coulda, woulda. But in reality, they could be sitting right now at, at four and three. Real easy, one shot. We're one shot away from four and three. That's I, I get that. That's splitting hairs or kind of nitpicking and saying, you know, obviously they got the win, so that's all that matters. But they lose to Virginia Tech who's not particularly good either. Um, you're not great. And then the next game after that, uh, they almost allow Georgia to come back on them. And then today, UCLA is not a good team. They're 5-3. and three. And sure, I mean, they, they won that as well. And not necessarily comfortably, but like you said, it certainly wasn't, um, wasn't out of hand or whatever, however you want to, wasn't in danger, excuse me. Now, I will say, I hate to give this guy credit when he's not here to accept it, but Shark did make a good point when he said, you know, teams don't get better 100% of the time just because they get older. That's the general thought in college basketball is the older you get, the better you get as well, kind of in, in step with your experience. But there is an argument to be made that Sometimes these guys stayed in college for so long because they weren't able to get over the hump to go to the NBA. So that doesn't necessarily mean that they are better. And that might be exactly what we're seeing here with Michigan State. This Michigan State team right now, as it stands, is not better than last year's Michigan State team. Although the whole reason they were the number one consensus team in the country coming into the season was that, oh, look it, they got all the dudes back or a lot of the dudes back, so they're definitely going to be better with growth this year. And I think clearly we see, and to Shark's credit, this is a point that he made, that they aren't better just because they got older. Cassius Winston is really, really good, but I don't think he's playing particularly better than he did at any point last year, especially down the stretch. So maybe to quote um, to quote my boy Denny Green, Maybe they or not quote my boy Danny Green. Maybe they aren't who we thought they were. Maybe we shouldn't yeah. crown him. Maybe we shouldn't crown him. You know. But see, the only the only issue that I have with that logic is, and I, I I see what you're saying, but at the same time, if if what we're saying is maybe they're not better than they were last year. Well, what were they last year? They were a Final Four team. They were a team that was two wins away from being crowned national title champions. And so it's it's kind of difficult to. 
exceed a final four type team, right? Like if, if we're sure. sitting here and saying like, Oh, Michigan state's not better than winning the national title, which is what they were two games uh, short of last year. I, yeah, maybe, but I feel like there was a lot more optimism and I thought that they were playing a lot better uh, at this point last year that, that I don't necessarily have any stats to back that up, but I think that we may have we may have put them on a pedestal a little bit too high, and that's me as well. I definitely did because I was saying to myself, "This is a Final Four team from last year. This is a guy. This is a team led by a point guard in Cassius Winston, who is is playing. He's still playing very well, but it's not enough now. With essentially with you know how old he is in the program, he's got to lead them to wins." And I think he's got to lead them now to convincing wins if we're going to label them a juggernaut. But what we're seeing is that these teams don't necessarily have that in them. There's not a clear-cut favorite. And I think by the time we record next week, it's going to be Louisville who's going to be the number one overall seed. And, and yeah, you don't hear Shark's voice because he's starting Thanksgiving early. Someone's got to row the boat here. And that's what we're here for. But I also think part of that is because he's ducking the uh, the Louisville conversation which he's been he's been very critical of of Louisville and they're going to be the number 1 overall team next year, next week uh but not these teams just haven't they, we we clearly have not seen a uh upper echelon tier uh top 3 teams that are clear cut better than than the others and that's actually I'll I'll raise my hand that's where I was wrong I think a couple weeks ago when that question was brought up actually after the Kentucky game I, I had said, well, you know what? I, I do think that the Dukes and the Michigan States, uh, they're and, and you know, the Kansases, who Kansas right now is in, as we're recording this, is in an absolute dogfight with Dayton. But I was saying that those teams are going to prove that they're, you know, they're the cream of the crop. And there's still a lot of season left, of course. But there's a difference between teams struggling to win games versus, Michigan State having two losses versus Kentucky losing at home ranked number one to Evansville. And, and of course, we'll get to this here shortly, Duke losing at home as the number one team to Stephen F. Austin. These are straight-up losses. It's not like they're struggling with teams. These are terrible, like, like, like program bad, uh, pro, like the, the, however old your program is, bad yeah. losses. 100%. No, these are... They are program shifting losses in a way, but what actually makes that more apparent is that the wins for the smaller programs, they're program shifting wins for for the program, and that actually tells you how bad of a loss it is. If 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 the other team is going to look back at this game for seventy five years until they die, that means it was probably a pretty bad loss, right? So um, what and and maybe why we don't think that there's a dominant team so far this year might have to, we might harken back to um, uh, the shark and ice discussion while you were finding yourself in the grand Canyon. And I think that although that's a, an overly true statement, I think there is a little bit of um, let's call it voters, not voting to who might actually be the best teams in the country. You know, you have, the, this week, for example, Ohio State could arguably be the best team in the country. They really could. They really could. But they're still ranked behind Kentucky, who lost to Evansville at home. 
And that doesn't make any sense at all, right? Like, let's look at Duke this next week. If the, if Duke is in the top 15, just fuck me, you know, right? Like, why? There's no – you just lost the worst game at home You could that has been lost by a number one team in the last – was it since 2005? So the last 15 years of college basketball. Don't tell me they're one of the 15 best teams in the country because you think they are. Tell me they're one of the 15 teams best in the country because what we've seen so far, because that's what we that's what these rankings are for. And so maybe what we have in terms of having not seen who the best teams in the country are so far is maybe because voters and fans haven't allowed themselves to open themselves up to say, oh, maybe the teams that we see that have been voted this high actually aren't the best teams in the country. Maybe the best teams in the country are Maryland. Gonzaga, Ohio State, Oregon, Arizona, so on. The, the teams that just started further back down the rankings because of all those teams that I just went off on, maybe not Virginia, maybe not Gonzaga, they all have legitimate arguments as why they could be the actual best team in the country right now. So I know we're early, and I, your point was great in saying after this week, after Feast Week, and kind of like I, I said on the last episode, this is really where college basketball starts for me because we do get to decide who's good. That has really rang true already. And it's not even Thanksgiving. We're still in the appetizer section of Feast Week, and we've already started to see who was good and, and who's not. Well, and when people are voting on these, there's going to be that human element of bias. At the end of the day, the voters are going to opine and, and be closer to a Coach K and give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, okay, he lost to Stephen F. Austin. So what? He's, you know, he he had a, he had an Elite Eight run last year, and he has all these titles. And then they're going to say, well, look at Vernon Carey's potential. Look at Trey Jones, who by the way had eight turnovers. He the, sucks uh, that game. Okay, yeah, it's, Trey Jones is a great defender, but I've always said his offensive game isn't that great, and I think he's been tabbed a little too high. And I, I see on Twitter a lot of Dukies with some sort of inferiority complex trying to compare him to Cassius Winston. In terms of college basketball play, Cassius Winston is a not even in the same stratosphere as Trey Jones, or I should say that the other way around. Uh, Cassius yeah, Winston sure. is on a higher level than Trey Jones. But the voters are going to look at a guy like Trey Jones and say, see, okay, well, he's – you know, name brand. He's 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 good on defense. And then you got Vernon Carey. You got Cassius Stanley, who who throws down awesome dunks. Who actually had an awesome tip slam yesterday. Yes. But that's why they're not going to get. And of course, the Duke name. They're not going to get out of the top fifteen. I'll be brutally honest with you, man. Yeah. I don't expect no, I, them to be. They should be, but they're, they're not going to be. So there, there's that. But let's hone in on that Stephen F. Austin versus uh, Duke upset. And let's here's the thing: a lot of times these upsets occur when the game is neck and neck, or maybe the underdog will be down six or seven max. But at, throughout the entire game, it's it seems to be neck and neck. Stephen F. Austin was down fifteen, so not only did they have the resolve to come back and make it competitive, which would have been a win in its own right, they won the fucking game. But being down 15, Stephen F. Austin comes back in Cameron, and it was the Dukies' first home non-conference loss since St. John's in 2000. 19 years, man. And St. John's in the 2000s was not a pushover. This was a pushover loss. Stephen F. Austin was a it was a buy game. They should not have even entertained the fact, like not even covering, uh, let alone losing. And so my Twitter timeline, let me dive into this first little wrinkle. <laughs> My Twitter timeline, man, was disgusted with Coach K. And so maybe coming from a starved fan base like us, who's 
who who would just do backflips for the amount of titles and success that Duke has had over the near what thirty years that K has been there. I would 40, never say or like 40, forty, really. Yeah, I, right. I wouldn't say a word about Coach K. Yes, it was a bad loss. Yes, it was inexcusable. Yes, it was embarrassing. But these guys are going down Coach K's throats as if he's like some third-year coach struggling to put together wins. And the Dukies were saying, especially, this was what they were specifically mad about. They were disgusted that Coach K on the offensive rebound uh, for their last possession of the game, they were upset that Coach K didn't use a timeout. And so maybe that's a bad error. Sure, he had one to burn. And the offense did look a little discombobulated at that point. Maybe you want to calm some college kids down. But I was just really shocked by the amount of slander Shashevsky was getting on the timeline yesterday. Uh, despite, it's it's as if the previous 40, 40 years did not exist whatsoever. Did you see that as well, or was that just my timeline? Yeah, no, you're correct. It's just it's it's that fans don't understand sometimes. And this is completely how college basketball works. College basketball is a head coach-oriented industry, right? The Zions come through and they're cool, but their one-year flashes in the pans. They're head coach-oriented. Uh, it's a head coach-oriented industry. So when you lose, it's on the head coach. When you win, it's on the head coach. Whatever. But like, so did Coach K turn the ball over twenty-two times yesterday? Did Coach K miss sixteen free throws? I what what else is what else are you guys supposed to do? You know, I uh, really this loss is a is a. Hundred percent player loss, in my mind. This Duke team is just not as talented as previous Duke teams. That is the long and short of it. It's the same exact situation with Kentucky. It's what we've talked about from the preseason on. Is that the two classes that Duke and Kentucky got, although they were top five recruiting classes, which is fine and that's great, but this is the exact problem you find when it's all when you're in a one-and-done-based world, is that if you have a down recruiting class, like this recruiting class as a whole isn't super dope like last year's recruiting class. You don't have, like, Zion and RJ Barrett could have been the number one pick in almost any draft for the next for the last 15 years. And they and RJ Barrett was the second pick. Or was he the third pick? Whatever. He, he, was, he was the number one recruit coming into the country. Nobody even talks about RJ Barrett. And that's the exact problem. Obviously, there's a lot of benefits to it, but that's the exact problem when you just go one and done and everybody leaves every year. Is This is what you come up with, is that there are some times that you're just not as talented. I take Trey Jones, who I have all, who uh, you know, everyone knows my thoughts on Trey Jones. I am not a Trey Jones believer in the least bit. He has not improved one aspect of his game since last year. He is exactly the same player he was last year. He turned the ball over eight times yesterday. He can't shoot. He did. I mean, he had two of four threes, so that's fine. But he's still shooting like 29% for three on the year. And this is almost the same discussion we have in Michigan State. Trey Jones, theoretically, as we usually discuss, should make that progression freshman to sophomore year. He clearly has not made that progression so far. And I'm sure someone could go back and find an example for some of the games early this year if he has made a progression or not. Sure, the stats might say that, but the result of you being the lead guard and he last night he missed the game-winning shot in one possession or the, the go-ahead shot in one possession. 
came down, started the offense with like 12 seconds left in a tie game, started the offense with like 12 seconds left on the clock, threw an entry, an awful entry pass with like 10 seconds left on the block. So let's say, who did he throw that to? Uh, Cassius Stanley, I think. I think that's who was. I think that's who was on the on the block, which doesn't make either sense. Either him or Vernon Carey. But, but it does. Yeah, but that's not his game either. So, the best possible outcome there is you take the lead with six seconds left. You're supposed to get the last shot there and not give your the other team who has a timeout the ability to inbounds the ball or inbound the ball, run a play, all that. Would would Stephen F. Austin have scored on that? Sure, it's a low likelihood. But your worst possible situation or outcome of, of if you're up with 10 seconds left in the game and the ball is another overtime, is you miss a shot. It's not start the offense too early, throw an awful entry pass, and then allow the other team to split the defense like I split my pants today while I was putting up my grandma's Christmas lights and go all the way down the floor and lay the ball in, especially against Stephen F. Austin. This isn't like Kobe White and North Carolina. This is... Whoever the hell, Nathan Bain and Stephen F. Austin at home. So I look at Trey Jones, and I look at Trey Jones is Duke this year. They just aren't as talented as they have had in the previous couple of years. Yeah, I'm not as critical of Trey, Trey Jones as you are, for sure. I still think Trey Jones can be a difference maker and is great because of his defensive ability. But I will agree with you in the sense that he hasn't taken a progression, and they're going to need that in order to get to a Final Four, right? Which is, if Trey Jones was just slightly better offensively last year, who knows what they would have been able to accomplish. But to even go back to your point about the recruiting and their talent level, and you talked about RJ Barrett, you talk about Zion, it would be the equivalent also of like them. Like they, they were able to hoard all of the top five, top seven players. It would be the equivalent of them landing a Vernon Carey plus a Cassius Stanley. And in addition to that, an Anthony Edwards and a Nico Mannion, right? That's what they were able to do last year and maybe the past couple of years. And of course, talent, it, it doesn't necessarily equal national title. Not to say that UVA wasn't talented, not to say that Texas Tech wasn't talented, but they were more of a cohesive unit for sure. And actually, now that I bring up UVA, sorry to keep zigging and zagging, but you had mentioned maybe not UVA has a has a gripe for being number one overall. I actually think they do. Yeah, Defending sure, national champs, they put the clamps on every single person. They're undefeated. They're actually a team that, while it looks disgusting, is handling their business. I could see them being the number one overall team of the country. But not being we're, we're sorry i didn't mean to get off on uva we're still <laughs> shitting on so i i can't i can't stop shitting on duke right now like this this is again only comes along maybe once every 19 years as we've seen uh again the, so what i thought what i saw first and fall was the timeline being discussed with that timeout and real quick i personally am okay with not calling a timeout in that scenario i i typically like that uh, especially when you have the level of talent that duke has uh, comparatively speaking, you know, against the Stephen F. Austin, it's like, yo, Trey Jones, Cassius, Vernon, make a Jack White, like make a play for me, man. Do do something. Um, and I think I'd rather, I think I'd rather my guys with an offensive possession go at a discombobulated defense as opposed to letting the the coach set up for a pack line one possession play. I'd rather, you know, I, I put my I put my faith in in my players, and so I, I don't necessarily understand the slander that Coach K is getting there. Um, so this 
this Hold also. On, I'm going to interject. I'm going to interject. I'm very much a non timeout guy in that in that uh, same situation. And I, I like, you know, obviously you shouldn't go through the game. You shouldn't be left at the end of the game with like three timeouts left, as we see some coaches do. Can't take those with you. But you're exactly correct right when you say uh, every single player on my team, 1 through 12, is more talented than the best player on the other team. If we can't figure this out without me, where's the, uh, where's the teachable moment going to come from? You know, it, it, and obviously – I don't. I think this is more than a teachable moment, but I understand Coach K saying like, "Hey, you guys are the best players in the country, or you should be, or you've been talked about as such for your entire lives. If you guys can't put this together, then why? Then that I can't do anything about that." That that's where Duke was. I think that's where their fans are kind of missing the point, in my opinion. Um, so this actually brings up a really good question, and we've discussed both of these games. Which is a worse loss? And I tweeted this out, and I think 58 or 54% uh, of, of voters said that the Stephen F. Austin loss t- for Duke is worse than Kentucky losing to Evansville. Let me get your thoughts on that. W- which one's a worse loss? Yeah, the Duke's, Duke's loss is worse because it was, uh, you know, they were a bigger underdog. Um, they were the first team. Yeah, what did I say? The first teams in since 2005 that has lost, the number one team that has lost as a 25-point favorite is now Duke. Obviously, that's kind of like one of those cherry-picked, like, ever since last Tuesday, this guy's only done this, whatever. But Real, real quick, I'm sorry. Uh, Dayton just hit a three to tie the game. I, it looks to be going into overtime against Kansas. So yes, there, there's, there's there, theater in Maui. Go ahead. There's theater in Maui. Get on the. T- Let me talk for a minute so you can tweet that out. Um, no, this loss is worse because I think there's a little more, just a touch of more name cachet that comes with Duke over Kentucky from a casual fan. Um, also, Cameron Indoor is supposed to be an impossible place to play, and Coach K is thought of as maybe a little more of a vaunted coach than Calipari. You know, Calipari's thought of the recruiter rather than the coach. Coach Cage thought of both. Um, And I will say, I think it's a bigger loss because Kentucky doesn't have as big of names on their team this year as, and actually just because of Trey Jones actually might be because it's a bigger loss. Trey Jones is your returning starting point guard. And that's the guy who Duke fans said was going to take the step to lead them. And I think losing to Stephen F. Austin shows them more about Trey Jones than it showed about than Kentucky losing to Evansville showed about some of their freshmen on their team. Because their freshman guards or their guards are freshmen, right? But Trey Jones was supposed to be the guy that was supposed to lift them. And he clearly couldn't do that. So that's why I think it's a worse loss for Duke than it is uh, Kentucky. I agree. Now, let me take a step back and say that both of these losses are absolutely putrid. Both fan bases Awful. should be so Awful. livid that, that they lost. And again, we, we decided that these were losses that the fan bases are going to be, I mean, in, in like five, seven years, Evansville and Stephen F. Austin are going to be talking about these these wins going into Rupp, going into Cameron, vaunted places historic 
basketball venues. But I agree that it was the the, the worst loss was Duke to Stephen F. Austin. Uh, I'm not necessarily sure if they were comparable lines. I, I think Duke was favored by 28. Uh, so and I forget exactly what Kansas was favored to against Evansville. What was it? Kentucky. Kentucky was favored Kentucky. by twenty. Yeah, twenty-four and a half. Okay, so yeah, it, a relatively lot. both a lot, both a lot, yeah. but still Duke. Duke favored by more. Uh, but I here's the thing that that would irk me a little bit more if I were a Duke fan. We're deeper into the season than Kentucky was, and that yeah yeah great. And so That's a great point. You see Michigan State losing you see Kentucky already having lost. Literally, it's not like you need to extrapolate or reach for another good team losing. You had the number one ranked team in the country at home losing to an inferior opponent. You have your your perfect example to look out for, to avoid, and they didn't do it. And I think another reason why this makes it a worse loss is because I think a lot of us, including myself, were wrapped up in the Tyrese Maxey phenomenon and Kentucky and how well they played night one in New York. I don't think any of us really, really thought that they were the number one ranked team of the country at that point. I don't think any of us really thought that they were the best team, the premier team in the country. Uh, Duke, you could have made the case past couple weeks that they were. And for them to just lay a complete egg here. And again, being up 15, they, you can't hold a 15-point lead at home to Stephen F. Austin. Again, it's no need to panic. It's only game seven, but you can't completely uh, disregard this game. It's got to be so, got to be pretty upsetting. Kansas just missed a uh, last-second three, barely uh, headed to overtime in Maui. So, so extra, much fucking theater. Extra theater in Maui. So yeah, I think theater. I think your point of it being later on in the season is a great point because yeah. Each game, a team should become more cohesive. Each player should, even if it's just by a, an ounce or a, a hair or whatever, should be getting just a little better, should be understanding the tendencies of their teammates just a little more. So the further you get into the season is, is makes this loss worse. You could also argue and say, okay, so, well, the other team will also be getting better and also be, um, you know, one more cohesive unit game by game. And that's a fine argument, sure. But it's not a good argument when the other team lost to Rutgers three days before you. And that's, I think, again, what makes this even worse is they, uh, not Evansville, uh, Stephen F. Austin just came off a loss to Rutgers days before this game and then beats Duke. Well, it's funny. That, go ahead. Go ahead. No, that, I was just saying that is why this loss is worse. And um, I, is, I don't know how to phrase this. So we've had the three, arguably the three best teams at the start of the year in college basketball, Kentucky, Duke, and Michigan State, have all lost to far inferior opponents. Michigan State has lost two games. One of them, you know, they're, they're, both of their losses, one was to a good team, one was to and not, you know, whatever, a fine team. No, no, no. You, they weren't. Vatek's yeah, not that great of a team. Yeah, it's just right. that they have the eight. I mean, they're better than Evansville and Stephen F. Austin for sure. But it's right. not like Vatek's that great. They also under a first-year head coach, you know, in a transition year. So, okay. So two questions for you then. Unless I think of a third while you're answering. Um, is who feels worse right now? 
Michigan State with two losses, Kentucky or Duke with one loss, but to shitty teams. I think Michigan State actually does because, first of all, Izzo straight up apologized to people. He issued like a public apology for losing to Virginia Tech, but also because you have more than one loss, albeit one of those losses to a good good opponent. But I, I think they were expected to to win all of those all of those games. I I truly think that Calipari and and Shashevsky, like in their psychotic manners, are like happy. Maybe not happy, but okay with those losses. Like we had mentioned after Kentucky, this is Calipari's teaching moment saying, okay, you guys got so big for your britches. You don't think you can listen to me, coach? Guess what happened against Evansville? Coach K can now do the exact same thing. And I truly do think that these are anomalies, obviously. I don't think Kentucky and Duke are going to be awful. It's not like they're going to miss the tournament or anything like that. But I actually do think that Michigan State feels worse because – Kentucky and Duke weren't as heralded coming into the season as Michigan State was. And quite truthfully, Michigan State's played well enough to win some of their games. But the fact that we've already discussed that they could potentially have three losses after coming into the season as the consensus pretty much number one overall team, they haven't played well to start out the gates while the other teams have. I mean, Duke won in Duke and Kentucky both won in Madison Square Garden, right? Against so we can we see what they're able to do against good opponents. I don't know just yet what Michigan State's able to do against good opponents. So I would say Sparty. What about you? Yeah, I think that's why I honestly why I brought them into that argument of of the you know the two bad losses versus that. Um, and I'm going to agree with you in saying that, but that's before I give my full answer. I'm going to lead into the second question, and maybe this might fall in line with what you just said, or it might differ. Kentucky, Duke, Michigan State. How many of those teams have a one seed going into the NCAA tournament? I think you're looking at I think you're looking at maximum two, but I'm gonna say one. And I actually think Michigan State will write the ship and end up with a one seed because I think over again, I'm I'm very close to jumping off of them as a juggernaut. But I think that they're going to end up with a one seed. I don't think Kentucky or Duke uh, are actually good enough cohesively uh, to to pull that off. No, so that's actually kind of why I wanted to get your the second question out of the way because that's maybe why Michigan State doesn't feel worse is because they know that there's still hope because they've seen this team at that level before, like last year. Kentucky and, and Duke haven't seen anything out of the teams that they have in front of them. What they've seen so far is that they could lose. Sure, they could beat anybody, but they could lose to anybody. And so despite the fact that I agree with you in saying that I would feel worse because I've lost twice if I was a Michigan State fan, I still think Michigan State has the most hope, the most, the most light at the end of the tunnel, let's call it, between those two teams or then those other two teams, because I don't, I, I, I just don't see those two teams just all of a sudden coming together. I really don't. You know, I think we've watched enough of them so far, seven, six, seven games a piece. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of season left. Completely right. But we, we have a college basketball podcast to talk about this stuff, not just to wait until one day before March to talk about everything one day before the tournament starts. Right. And I would predict 
that we're not going to see enough from either of those teams for them to get a, hot, a one seed. And I would even, I would even say a two seed. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I think that we're they're I think that they're going to fall off the top, at least the top one or two lines, and that's what happened. When stuff like that happens, that's when you start to run into teams in the tournament. Now, I'm not saying 14 seeds are like the end all be all of like really great teams, right? But that's where you start to run into Thomas Walkup SFA teams in the tournament, a guy that can just beat you. And I feel like losses like this and are, you know, A, the result, but B, the inference that it's uh, indicative of a further lack of cohesiveness that's going to come forward. That was a hell of a sentence. I need to write that one down, by the way. But, a lot of buzzwords. But, but I think, but I think it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's more of an in indication of how these teams are going to go forward than it is not just one result. You think it's an anomaly. And sure, I don't think they're going to lose to a team like Stephen F. Austin again, but I think it is an indicator that these teams aren't just going to come together all of a sudden and roll off 25 straight games to end the year. Yeah, shout out uh, Thomas Walkup. Again, we love him on this program almost as much as Rothstein, but Stephen F. Austin seems to be making a habit of these monster upsets, man. It was just three or four years ago, I think, where they upset Bob Huggins' number three seed West Virginia Mountaineers in the tournament. That was when that was with Walkup and, and those Lumberjacks and Brad Underwood, and that's actually pretty much catapulted Underwood's career to go to Oklahoma State and then to go to Illinois where he's currently at. But I also think, to your point about these other teams, right? So you talk about Michigan State, you talk about Duke and Kentucky, are they, are, you know, which one of them could, could get the number one, could get a number one seed? It's not like they don't have competition either within their conferences. You look at Michigan State, we, you already said at the top of the program, and I agree, Ohio State very well could be the best team in the country, right? You talk about in the SEC, Auburn's undefeated after losing a, a, some of their ammo to from the Final Four last year. They're undefeated with some good wins, and they're a top 15 team. And Bruce Pearl has, has shown that he can win a conference tournament, which may be able to push you up to the to, to the number one seed line. And he's also my coach of the year. So although I do slander the SEC, I'm not slandering Bruce Pearl, Burgomaster, and, and Auburn. But Kentucky's got competition there. Michigan State's got competition with uh, Michigan State's got competition with Ohio State. Duke, they have competition with Cole Anthony and, and North Carolina. They have competition with UVA. They have competition with Louisville. Those three teams are better than Duke, in my opinion. So if you're the fourth best team in your conference, there's no way you're going to be the number one. Uh, you're not going to be on the one line. And I truly yeah. think that, you know, if I were to rank the ACC right now, I'd say Louisville slightly above Virginia, who's above Carolina, who's above Duke. And that's how I would look at it. So to your point about them getting the one seeds that we talked about, these top four teams, and, and right now, again, we're discussing that Kansas is is in a dogfight against Dayton. These are the top four teams that came into the, to the season. And they have some serious, serious competition, not just in the national landscape, which is who you're fighting against for those one seeds, but within your own conference. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to say... I don't want to pat myself on the back this earlier in the season, but I didn't pick any of these three teams to win their conference this year. And I think we pointed out that these were the potential issues that these teams could have. 
And so I just hope that ESPN listens to this and hires me seven games into the season, just specifically because of that alone. Well, I might but, take some 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 dip off your chip for the Purdue pick, but that yeah, that is fair. It's still early. Yeah. Still right. Early. Right. Uh, hey, hey, if they can lose to Virginia Tech, they could definitely lose to Purdue on whatever the day is, January 11th, that we predicted that was going to happen. So no, you're right. Uh, um, I will say, I guess, kind of just not not to round this out though. Uh, the the only I guess hope that these teams have is rolling it back to the first discussion we had on this episode is it, who are the good teams are, are there other teams that are going to have these type of losses? I don't think so personally. It's the greatness. It's the blessing and the curse that is like Virginia basketball. They might play a team that they only beat by four points, which seems like a close upset, but they don't allow the other team to score 85 points and upset them. And so like, I don't think that they'll have a, a, a loss like this. Um, the, these are really, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's tough to tell because these are really two historic type of losses. And so it, it's interesting to how to discuss if this is indicative of the year of college basketball as a whole, or if this is two, like you said, anomalies that just have to happen at some point, because they have to happen at some point, you know, when, but Even though Duke's two, win to was two teams, though to two number one ranked teams well, at home, right? Well, so maybe the anomaly isn't. Maybe the anomalies aren't that they happen to these individual teams. Maybe the anomaly is that it happened twice in the same year, and that might be the exception to the rule. We might not see another upset like this all year, and I and I really don't think we will because what are the odds that three number one teams in the country would lose two? an awful team. Now this is where the shark would come in here and say, well, Louisville ain't shit. And they could easily lose to Western Kentucky tomorrow night, which he previously said. Now, if that happens, uh, so for all intents and purposes, Louisville is right now, the number one team in the country. Yeah. Has, yeah. Not, Te- not, not, but see, that's the thing I would bring yeah, that up. Right. Technically they're not the number one team in the country, right, right, right. Yet, but I get it. But, yeah. for, but for this particular discussion, for all intents and purposes, they're the number one. They're the best team in the country, right? So what if Western Kentucky upsets them? It's not going to be as big of a loss as these two teams because Western Kentucky is, like, okay. But that, I think, will be, and this will be a, a, a good thing to lead our, our next show off, if that's what happens, is if all of these teams are losing, maybe this is just a, in, indicative of how college basketball is this year, especially, and I hate to uh, you know bring this up for Virginia people, but... We did see, just see our first 16 over one year before last. We know that there is an argument to say that the bottom, the top isn't necessarily coming down. I think it's more of the bottom is coming up in college basketball. You have so many good players and so many AAU programs and prep schools and whatever that maybe the bottom is coming up. So maybe this is the really first year we start to see how high the bottom level is college basketball is rather than how low the, the top end of college basketball. Well, and these huge recruits are no longer going to the power power schools. They're not strictly going to Duke. They're not strictly going to Carolina. They're not strictly going to Arizona, right? They're not, they're, they're not going to these name brand Kansas like schools strictly, right? Obviously these schools are getting those, that top end talent, but Anthony Edwards went to Georgia. Didn't Mitchell Robinson go to Western Kentucky? Yeah, so, so yeah. Someone it was, it was Mitchell Robinson, right? And he's, he's, I believe so. He's pretty sick in the NBA. So these these schools, while maybe they're not putting together 
comprehensive recruiting classes are still getting top end talent, even albeit just one player. So another quick thing that I want to mention before we get off of this, this Stephen F. Austin Duke game, and, and I'll tell you, it's it's tough to get off this. I know we got other things to discuss, but whenever Duke goes down to Stephen F. Austin type team at home being you know, favored by 28 points, you got to really revel in it. Again, to reiterate, to hammer this home, it's been 19 years since this <laughs> has happened to the Cameron crazy. So you got to, you got to kind of let this marinate. But uh, Nathan Bain, game winning layup for Stephen F. Austin, that was not an easy game winning layup. Let me tell you why. He's in Cameron, he's going full speed with the clock winding down. Do you know how many times I've seen? players like put way too much uh way too much english or put way too much on the ball and the layup doesn't even come close to hitting the rim and if it does hit the rim it goes off and doesn't go in that was a nice feathery touch in a huge pressure packed situation from nathan bain i just want to re like remind people that that was although, although it was a layup that's a very difficult shot to make under those circumstances so hug for you to Nathan Bain. Um, yeah. And then a few other news and notes. Best part about that that game, obviously, was Twitter. So I had mentioned Coach K getting dragged inexplicably, in my opinion. But also the wrestling gifts. So Stephen F. Austin, you got Stone Cold Steve Austin. A lot of that was good. And then adding insult to injury to that loss. He deleted it, but... I think NCAA March Madness or some official Twitter account tweeted out the Cameron crazies um, and Zion Zion quote tweeted that saying the crowd was quote, they're dancing. And this was like a minute after they lost. It's like Zion dog. <laughs> like I, I, he clearly wasn't watching. There's no way he was watching. And that's probably good if you're a Pelicans fan, but I, I can't imagine Zion was watching that game and he quickly deleted it. Uh, but that just added some serious insult to injury. You know, <laughs> that is really Twitter is the best part of any sporting event. First off, let's just get that out of the way. Yeah. You, is, you make a great point about Bane's layup though, is uh, I could easily have seen a, a team from like a Stephen F. Austin or player from like a Stephen F. Austin blowing that layup. And then they lose all their momentum. We've seen it a thousand times. And then Duke wins by like nine in the second overtime. And we have a completely dis- different discussion today. So I think that's a great point. A tougher layup than maybe not a tough layup if in a vacuum, but a tough layup given the uh, given that series there. No, exactly. So, that I mean, and that that's the thing. Like you have the entire Cameron Crazies uh, holding their breath. You have the probably the biggest upset of the entire year riding on your layup and he and he and he's going full speed into into the baseline i'm telling you it's a it's a much more difficult shot than than a lot of people are, are giving credit i know you're rolling your eyes i was that the dayton dayton shot he just missed that just, layup just missed a layup yeah oh, that's what i'm saying man. after getting a steal so perfect not point. not as easy. That's that is that's perfect timing right there. That's a, that's no basketball. That's that's why we have this this show. Um, so may I may I uh, add a add a note about Anthony Edwards going back a couple couple seconds ago? All I could think yesterday while 
or was that two days ago or yesterday when he was coming back, leading Georgia back? What did he score? Thirty-three second half points. Is that what it was? I thought it was like thirty-four or thirty-five. Yeah, it whatever. was. It was a performance. It is man, he's going to look good next to Steph Curry and Clay Thompson next year. <laughs> you got to be. You got to be happy if you're a Warriors fan. They absolutely suck this year, and are. But again, that's the lottery, man. Who knows? The Warriors the Warriors hit with Clay, Steph, and Draymond, but prior to that, they were awful and they had awful luck in drafting and also uh their their, their picks. So maybe they're back to that. But yeah, Anthony Edwards very well could end up in the bay. My pick for SEC player of the year really really shining through right now. Hug so, for you. Yeah. I just wanna you. say. Just wanna say. So uh continue on though, I apologize. No, that's fine. Very last thing on this Duke game. What were your thoughts on the tweets from UMBC and and Stephen F. Austin? The reason I bring that up is because apparently I'm friends with a bunch of tough guys who were like, when when UMBC tweeted like, hey, what's going on, Stephen F. Austin? And Stephen F. Austin said, no, I'm just chilling or something like that. And I thought it was fun. It was very playful. Again, this is the first non-conference loss for Duke in 19 years. I don't know when this will ever happen again to a Stephen F. Austin. Let him have some fun. Again, I'm I'm friends apparently with a bunch of tough guys because they're like, oh, this is stupid. Like, don't tweet like it's a teen center, which I thought was funny. But like, what what do you want them to say? Do you want them to yeah. step over Duke? It's not like they know that they're better than Duke. Yeah, let just let people have fun. You know, let it's kind of like a, it's kind of like an overarching uh, thought I have on life in general. Just let people enjoy themselves. You know, if you like watching football, let people watch football. If you like listening to music, let people listen to music. If you like tweeting funny things at other accounts that had similar experiences with you, yeah, just just let people have fun. We don't have to – this is what's wrong with cancel culture, okay? Either everybody has to be right or everybody has to be wrong. There's nothing in between. Just let people do what they want to do. You know, to, this is a, a perfect example of why pre-2012 Twitter – was that is so much better than 2019 Twitter because everybody would have hopped on board with how funny that that exchange was. Now it's like, oh, we have to find a way. We have to be contrarian just to be contrarian. We don't have to be contrarian just to be contrarian. Let the kids have fun, Sue. As John John Calipari would say, they're just kids, Subi, okay? They're just kids. I mean, the person managing that Twitter account is probably just a kid. You're right, too. And I know that they have professional jobs for, for social media accounts, but it's probably someone who's, I don't know, 23, 24 years old, caught up in the moment that, again, Stephen F. Austin just beat Duke, right? I don't, I don't even, I don't remember seeing a, a tweet from Evansville. I don't even know if they have a, have a Twitter account for their basketball team. But yeah, let them, let them tweet whatever the hell they want. This is their 24 hours. They can, they can quite literally do whatever they want. So you mentioned Anthony Edwards going berserk in the second half against Michigan State. Again, during that game, I was saying to myself, look, I understand that Anthony Edwards is awesome, but Michigan State, good God, you were up double digits, and now it's an absolute ball game. Because of Anthony Edwards, he single-handedly brought the Georgia Bulldogs back and I thought the funniest part of that entire second half was not his impressive scoring ability, but everyone in the gym. I mean, every single person, every single eyeball knew that Anthony Edwards was going to shoot every single shot down the stretch, which I thought was amazing. And whenever whenever Georgia even fiend or faked to, to have someone else like run off a ball screen for a shot, it's like, come on, man. 
it, it, it was it was like even Michigan State was saying to themselves, just give it to Edwards, and if he hits this in my eye, then he hits it in my eye. But don't don't try and fake me out with some of these other players. So Anthony Edwards, though, what a performance that was! And he actually he started off very slow in the first half, and he's had he's had a good start to the season. But I think this was his coming out party in a major tournament. Prime time, well, maybe not prime time, excuse me, but on a prime time network like ESPN. Uh, if you don't know the name Anthony Edwards, and you should if you care about college hoops, this was the game to watch about how explosive and how quick he can heat up. Yeah, he hasn't shot the ball well this year so far, but um, yeah, doing it in that game on the stage that it was at or on, that's going to be, I think, a real boost to him to repel him to what I think his level is as the best player in the SEC. We've seen uh, Kerry Blackshear so far, who was kind of like the preeminent pick for the SEC player of the year. And I mean, he's played okay. You know, he's played all right. Florida hasn't looked that impressive. And Georgia's not good. Don't get me wrong. But uh, Anthony Edwards really showed out to see why they, they will pick off a couple teams this year in conference just because of Anthony Edwards having a game like that. Agreed. So that those were some highlights, obviously, over the past couple days. In Maui again in the national in the Maui championship game, Dayton just lost to Kansas. And I actually think that's a really good win for Kansas because Dayton is a very good team. And I want to spend some time talking about the 810 because Again, apparently I got a, I got another friend who's who's given me shit because we didn't give A10 a preview, uh, despite the fact that I told him that we were only doing power conferences. But and I, and I said, look, man, we didn't have the time for the A10. He's giving me shit about some guy named Hassan French on St. Louis. Look, if it's not if it's not Jordan Jet, I don't care about a St. Louis Billiken. Really, <laughs> if it's not Rick Majerus, I don't care. But I will say the A10 has had a great start to the season, highlighted by Dayton and Virginia Tech. Dayton, or excuse me, not Virginia Tech, uh, Dayton and VCU. But Dayton did beat a previously undefeated ACC team in Virginia Tech. Great win for them. Um, And it's all about Obi Toppin, man. And I'm going to start it right now. And I hope this is the first anyone's ever heard of it. But his nickname is now Obi Sloppy Toppin. Oh, you know. Getting a little X-rated. Hopefully, hopefully, friend of the program, Mark Titus, who I love, uh, actually was looking for a hashtag for um, Obi Toppin's player of the year, like campaign. Uh, you know, they got some good ones like no stop and top and like all that type of stuff. I hope that you go back to that Twitter account and uh, Club Trillion and uh, hashtag Obi Sloppy Toppin because that's a good one. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm getting getting a little vulgar here, but I like Obi Sloppy, Sloppy Toppin. In all seriousness, that guy is a ball player, 6'9 wing, who can shoot, he can attack. He actually had a Steph Curry-type moment against Kansas in the title game where he like went behind his back, took a step back three, and while the ball was in midair, just looked at the Kansas bench, turned around, and the shot went in. So Obi Toppin is is someone that you're going to watch out for, and Dayton is as well. VCU has a good win at home against LSU, and even watch out for Richmond. Richmond bringing up uh, the the top half, I would say, of of the A10. Yeah, the Spiders, man. Spiders. Yeah, putting a Dayton, web around you. Dayton has pretty much blown everybody out this year. Uh, they had a close game 
versus uh, Indiana State. Shout out Larry Bird uh, before at the first game of the season. But they've blown everybody else out, including Virginia Tech, including Georgia. They hold Anth- they held Anthony Edwards to six points the first game of the Maui Invitational. Um, so the, And that shows you how good I think they are um, because obviously the preeminent best team in the country couldn't hold him, barely held him to under 40. And this game that they just lost by six points in overtime to Kansas is like their closest game of the year they've played so far. It's really indicative of how good this team is. And despite the fact that we've shown that this theory isn't the end-all be-all in this particular program, they're an old team. Obi Toppin is their youngest starter as a sophomore. He's the only non-upperclassman that's a starter for this team. And he's their best player and their youngest player, but the other players around him are still pretty good. Jalen Crutcher it just hit a big three in this game that just ended right now. Uh, Mikashell is also pretty good as well. All-around game. Uh, Shout-out Colton Groudon, my buddy, friend of the program, who was at the Maui Invitational this year, who uh, said that he was most impressed with Mikashell's game on Dayton more than anybody else. So, um, yeah, I like Dayton a lot. It's It's incredible that... You know, obviously we haven't gotten that far into the season, but unranked coming into this game. And now I would anticipate they should be moving into elite, obviously the top 25, but yep. I should be much further than that. They should have one of those like 15 place jumps because there's nothing that would indicate that they're not a top 15 team in the country right now. I agree. They're going to see a meteoric rise. And Going into this game, this was a perfect type of game for Anthony Grant and his team because they did all that they needed to do. They beat a previously undefeated ACC team, but they and they've and they've demolished other teams, right? And then they no one really expects them to to beat Kansas, but they go to the wire in overtime. They get to the Maui Invitational title game. That's exactly what they needed to do. So they got the and this loss doesn't hurt them whatsoever. So all it does is give them good experience for the tournament when that time comes. And hat tip to Anthony Grant as well. He's done a good job rebuilding the program after Archie Miller left. He had a tough stint in Alabama, but he's he was part of Billy Donovan's coaching staff. I believe it was Billy Donovan at in OKC. So he seems to be the right man for the job here in Dayton, and and Toppin is is really helping him out. So you know this well, here- one's. For- Let's let's look back. Sorry to interrupt. Let's look back at a point we made on the last program about losing in the first round of these tournaments and how detrimental it is. We've talked this whole program about how we don't feel Michigan State is is as good as advertised. Right. And then we come back and talk about how good Dayton is. If Michigan State doesn't lose that first game, they easily could have beat Dayton in the second round. And we just think, and Dayton doesn't go anywhere, right? But this is exactly why we talk about how important those losses are, because those losses or those wins are. Because we don't give a shit about Michigan State beating UCLA today. Those wins are just empty wins. Whereas now, the whole country, or at least people who pay attention to college basketball, are like, yo, Dayton, they made it to the Maui Championship game. Michigan State, ah, whatever. I didn't even watch them play this week because they played at noon every day. That's why these teams, these games are so important from, even though it's early season, they're very important how you're perceived nationally because now Dayton, they're going to move into the top 20 and they're probably going to stay there because they don't play, they don't play not nobody except for Colorado for, until they play VCU on the 15th, 14th of January. They've got a month and a half of, of free basketball. 
that they're just they're going to knock off every one of these teams. I guess they play St. Mary's, but I don't think anything of St. Mary's. I think they're better than St. Mary's, yeah, based yeah, on what we've seen thus far. Right. So you say, okay, they might, they easily could be thirteen and one heading into the twelve and two heading into their game against VCU. That means they won't leave the top twenty-five all season. So that's why, like Michigan State game losing early is so detrimental to them, but so beneficial for a team like Dayton. Yeah. So again, this is for for my good buddy, friend of the program, Justin Hasgard, who who's been on the program before, nice enough to join us, who who just keeps giving me shit for not highlighting the A10 preseason, not giving them enough love. This is me giving you guys love. I like Dayton. I like Sloppy Toppin. I like VCU, and I'm looking out for Richmond. So there's there you go, A10. There's your shine. Let me know. Wow. You, you keep stringing these together, man. We'll keep talking to you and talking about them. Wow, I can't believe of all people it was Hasgard. Hasgard, who I just confirmed with today, is, is going to come stay at my house in like a week and a half. I might have to reconsider, actually, if he's if he's critiquing the program to that level. I, I'm just getting it at all angles from the guy, <laughs> like today. And now I'm just—I mean, I'm trying to trying to play it off. Like today, he said, "Why are you watching this game?" When I was talking about Toppin, and I was like, "Oh, because Kansas was playing. That's why." <laughs> that had nothing to do with Dayton. But uh, another great part of the Maui Invitational. So last week, I had mentioned how feathery soft the rims are i had likened it actually in a tweet to angel food cake um (laughs) it really is the rims are so damn soft i love it but another great part of the maui invitational is seeing the players surfing on a green screen i mean you see these guys that are like huge super like they're they're typically cool guys right you know and then they're doing this corny ass promo for the Maui Invitational of these intro, like these segues into commercials of Yudoka as a bouquet, who's like probably never been on a surfboard in his entire life, now trying to fake what it looks like to be on a surfboard in front of these in front of these waves. I say get rid of the players having to do that and just let Bill Walton do every single segue into commercials, even if he's not calling the game. Just put Bill. He doesn't even have to talk. Just put Bill Walton like body surfing or doing something in front of the green screen. But I think it's Getting, hysterical seeing these players. He got buried in the sand the other day as well. You know, that was real life not, though, right? Like he actually yeah, got yeah. buried in the sand. Yeah. Just bury him every day. I don't understand. It baffles me that there are people in this world that we share the same country. We share all of the same chromosomes and chromosomes as the people who hate Bill Walton. I don't it's get still it. Dumb. I don't get it at all. I don't get it at all. This just again, let's go back to the Twitter argument earlier or Twitter discussion between UNBC and Stephen Afosin. Just, just be fun. Okay. Don't be contrarian. Bill Walton is out here high as a motherfucker. Living, living life. Look at these trees, Subi. See this water, you know, like look at life. That's what that's, that's Bill Walton. And I just can't think. I, every single day of my life I that I hear Bill Walton, it's better than the day before. Let's yeah, put it that way. I saw a tweet. I forget what game he was calling, but someone was like, someone asked, uh, what what's going on with this game because of the score? And someone goes, oh, I have no idea because Bill Walton's announcing it. Cool, dude. Fucking put the game on mute then. Watch. I don't, like, yeah. wh- what is wrong with you? You have to have the biggest shit in your diapers. 
if, if you're complaining <laughs> about Bill Walton, Bill Walton, who brings he brings way more entertainment to Pac-12 games than the actual play the past couple of years. Let me tell you that. Oh, 100 percent. Right. So don't you know, he's a national treasure. And the, the other thing for any any rookies out there that think that Dave Pash is like actually upset at Bill Walton, it's all a shtick. That's that's what I want to let you like. That's the other thing is, Wal, Walton's so unprofessional. Dave Pash, I can't believe has to deal with this. It's like Dave Pash loves Bill Walton, and this is all just a, a play. This oh, is yeah, theater. This is theater. There's nothing worse than exact those exact people on Twitter being like, "Oh my god, Dave, Dave hates this guy." It's like, they've worked together every college basketball game for like four years. Do you think if he hated him that much, they we would work with him every single week, three times, four times a week? No, Dave Pash. Also lives out here in, in Phoenix, and he he's on the radio here every week because he's the voice of the Arizona Cardinals as well. With a similarly entertaining man, Ron Wolfley. I don't know if any Arizona locals listen to him, but outrageous he's, voice, uh, outrageous. Like YouTube his voice doesn't match his body at, at all. But he actually t- he, he gets that question almost every single time he's on the local radio program. Is what it's like to work with Bill Walton. And he 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 just he loves it. He it's just an enjoyable experience. Because how could you not love working with such a a man with such depth, with such ability to speak and be intricate about the thoughts that are going on in his head? Look, man, if you'd rather have Dick Vitale ranting and raving over a smooth, uh, very large vocabulary, Bill Walton. Kick rocks. I don't. I don't want to have to deal with you. That. That's actually. That's two types of college basketball fans, and I feel like it's split down the middle. Those who like Dick Vitale and those those who like Bill Walton. So I'm gonna be a hundred percent on Walton's side, and that's me being on the right side of history. Be on the right Man, side of history. Is this uh, is this kind of an East Coast West Coast thing? It could be. It very well I, could be. It might be. I. I, I don't have any facts to back this up, but I feel like there are more East Coasters that like Dick Vitale because he's more intense. More West Coasters are like, yeah, Bill Walton, man, just living life. You know, it's all smooth. It's all wavy, baby. You know, that should be my next poll. We'll see if we can we can get some some more interaction. So <laughs> real quick before we go to segments and wrap it up, it has to be noted. Virginia held Maine to a Grand total of 26 whole-ass American points today, or excuse me, yesterday in their game. Virginia's defense is absolutely outrageous. I think the over-under was like 105, or maybe it was like 108 or something. Virginia only scored 46 points themselves. But when you're holding a team to 26, uh, I feel like you just exert 90% of your energy on the offensive end or excuse me, the defensive end, and then you get a couple lucky bounces on the offensive end, and that's good enough. You had a great point last last week saying that a if you're down by 12 to Virginia, that's like being down 30 to a regular team. And the fact that Virginia only scored 46 points but still won by 20 is simply absurd. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, I, I'd have to look um, at what they're – I can't find it as we speak – you know, they were only allowing something like 42.7% points or 42.7 points per game heading into this game. Uh, not a mathematician, but holding Maine to, what was it, 26 points today or yesterday? Had to bring that down close to 40, if not under 40. And that is absurd. And I will actually would love to keep this 
uh, as a running like total, as we see here, um, to see if they can continue to keep their points per game under uh, several D1 football schools uh, as the college football season wraps up. Now, one of their next games is against my boys at Purdue, though. And not going to be a good look for the paint squad if they can't score 40 points. And I'm gonna, then my whole, all of my preseason shit is just going to go up in smoke right there. I, I don't know, man. I feel like Virginia, while they are in the ACC, could fit in so well in the Big Ten. I feel like that's just going to be a rock fight between those two. Oh, yeah. God, just sometimes Big Ten basketball can be beautiful and smooth and well coached. Other times, it's like, wow, these are a bunch of white Midwesterners who are still frostbitten playing basketball right now. Yeah, they got to fall out. Yeah, well, this, the snow is starting this week. It's winter around the country during this Thanksgiving day. And we'll see how much Purdue is able to thaw out by the time they play Virginia uh, next week. All right, with that being said, let's get a quick message here from our guy Zach at the Barnburner Podcast Network. All right, Taylor. So we're in jovial spirits. Again, it's Thanksgiving. We're surrounded by friends and family. <laughs> what, who are we giving hugs to? Talk to me. So, um, you know, we've, we've talked about this guy a lot on this show, uh, but I think it's completely worthwhile. And that is uh, I'm going to hug my boy Nathan Bain from Stephen F. Austin. Uh, not because of his performance last night, but more of what his performance means to him and his family and, and his future really more than anything else. Nathan Bain is from the Bahamas and his entire community was destroyed by hurricane Dorian earlier this year. Uh, they've been through a lot of stress and struggle and a lot of shit that most people don't have to deal with in their lives. And he got emotional in the post game interview uh, talking about how, what this year has been and how stressful it is and how he's just been trying to make his, his parents proud and his country proud as a whole. Well, as of the recording of this program, his GoFundMe that one of the managers, I believe it was at Stephen F. Austin started for him several months ago to not just for him, but for his family back in the Bahamas. Um, Like I said, as of the recording of this program, $90,000 $90,000 have been donated to his GoFundMe to help his family and his community rebuild in the Bahamas. And so let me make this overarching point, and I try to make it from time to time. Um, and even though this should be a jovial segment, it's going to be more of a let me put something in your face. If you people who are out there, they're not listening to this podcast, obviously, but if there are people who are out there that try to continue to argue with you this Thanksgiving about why sports don't matter, This is why sports matter, because this guy would never be known and people wouldn't have donated to him and his family and his community in this manner if he didn't pull off one of the upsets of the year, of the decade, of the century in college basketball. Should we donate and support people like this? Yes. Regardless of sports, yes. But this is why on one night in the middle of November, on a Tuesday, why sports are important to us and why they mean so much to people like Nathan Bain, Stephen F. Austin, and the people of the Bahamas. So a big hug for Nathan Bain and everything that has happened to him in the last 24 to 48 hours. Very well put. Very well said. I'm about to sully this uh, with 
what I'm thankful for. And so I, for that, I apologize. I don't want to add or, or detract anything from what you said, because it's very well said and sports do matter. But instead of a hug, I'm going to say what I'm thankful for. And so what I'm thankful for this year, and it kind of goes hand in hand with Nathan Bain, is I'm thankful that we're all hating Duke again. This feels <laughs> great. Because last year, none of us really hated Duke. I think we loved Zion so much. That was really part of his appeal was that we were saying to ourselves, damn, how likable does a guy truly have to be if we're out here rooting for Duke? And that even goes for Cam Reddish and RJ Barrett. I didn't hate those guys either. But I'm thankful again that we are able to hate the likes of Trey Jones, who was on that team last year, sure. And I don't necessarily hate him, but I mean, Matthew Hurt, that's a easily that's a very easy guy to hate jack white i'm pretty sure duke fans hate jack white so aoc 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 (laughs) yeah see this is a lot better than it was last year i think we we kind of were saying to ourselves what the hell is wrong with us you know are we patient zero something's something is truly sickened within me but we're back to hating duke again and you know what i'm very thankful for that with that being said uh i was seeing a lot of a lot of posts and tweets saying, you know, oh, America comes together when when Duke goes down. Yeah, that's that's true. That's pretty true. But I would say this had more to do with them being the number one ranked team in the country. I mean, we were two-stepping on Kentucky's grave a couple weeks ago. We were doing the exact same thing with Kentucky, and they're not as hated as, as Duke Duke is. But I don't think that had anything to do with us hating Duke. I think it was just such a monumental upset that no matter who was playing at home as the number one ranked team in the country, if you're a 28-point favorite and you lose, we're going to be two-stepping. We're all going to come together on Twitter and make memes and joke and shit on you. But again, very thankful for hating Duke. So... Before we go, because it is Thanksgiving, can I ask you a question? And we can debate this really quick if we need to. Tomorrow, or today, excuse me, you're eating Thanksgiving meal. What's the best food? What is your go-to food, the one food you look forward to the most on the Thanksgiving platter? The answer, and I'm going to use a term that Nick Wright just uses ad fucking nauseum, but it is unequivocally mashed potatoes that's the only Whoa. correct answer wrap it up wrap it up just go just sign off sign off happy thanksgiving everybody happy thanksgiving <laughs> to you all enjoy it we will see you next time here on theater and college hoops